Science Podcast. My name is Holly Bullets, and welcome back to the fourth Sunday after Epiphany for the week of January 31st, 2021, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited that we are going through the season of Epiphany, and that we are a matter of just a couple weeks away from Ash Wednesday and getting into Lent, and I was talking about this a little bit this last week with a couple people, just this really unique season of Epiphany, where we're hearing the beginnings of Jesus's ministry, where we're hearing the, I feel like what we've kind of been going through a little bit of the soul searching and trying to figure out if this is Jesus's early ministry, then what does that mean for us? And kind of beginning that soul searching process that Lent is all about. And it's such a unique place that we're in. When we think about just where we're at within the world, I feel like there's a lot of times in this beginning of 2021 already, that we've been doing a lot of soul searching, a lot of reflecting, a lot of trying to figure out how to, do we get better from here, especially with the vaccine potentially be at least getting out in initial batches starting to go for our elderly being out, but yet this wait and see process, this wait and see and when do we get to try returning back to normal and what is normal now going to be and are we going to have to continue to kind of go through different waves of this? It's not that different than when we're looking at Jesus's early ministry. And trying to understand, at this point, they don't know what this is all going to be. A lot of what Jesus was doing was quite radical, was quite different. And we'll hear about it this week in the gospel. He's doing things that are very different than anything that's been done before. And so there's this very much this wait and see, this let's see it's going to happen type of mentality. And we often want to put ourselves into that place of, oh yeah, I'd be right there with Jesus. But would we? Would we really? Because it was a quite radical and different change from what was going on. And that leads us right into the Twitter question that we had for last week. The Twitter question was, are you okay with change, especially if it is God telling you to change? And it was interesting from the responses I got back. I had ones who were saying, yeah, I've had it happen where God's talked to me enough that I've just understood yet, yep, change happens and this is what happens and I just got to roll with the punches because God knows. And we had other answers that were the complete opposite. It's something that I've always struggled with, that this moving to something different is hard. The changing of what I've been doing is hard. And I think in a lot of ways, that second response is what we see a lot in scripture too. The change of things moving forward and how we want different things. And at times that's not what God wants. And we even get that a little bit this week in one of our readings I think it's this combination. There are certain things, and like I brought up last week, there are certain things that I think we're really good about with change. We're really good about, okay, this is something new. I got a new vehicle. I got a new car or something like that, a new house, that there's the excitement with that. But I think it's also one of the things where when we look to young people, they're really good at. I'm growing a year older, and that means that I can do new things. And yet, it seems like somewhere along the line, at times, we get certain things for which just harder for us, and we lose that mentality, and we get kind of stuck in ruts at times. And I think that's one of the things to be reflecting upon within our own faith life, but especially our spiritual life. Is that something where we've gotten stuck in a rut that we need to be looking to move forward? So let's just jump right into it this week, and I'm going to save the gospel text for last. So let's start 
into this text that I kind of hinted at, which is out of the first reading this week, is out of Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. First, we have to give a little context to this text. It's talking about a new prophet like Moses. Moses has passed. What was Moses? Moses was the liaison between God and the Israelites. And why was Moses there? Because God tried talking directly to the Israelites and they got scared and they didn't want that. So you had to have Moses to be this liaison, which then Aaron had a little bit more of the humanitarian part of it to help with some of that where Moses maybe wasn't the greatest at being able to communicate with people, but was bringing God's word to them. So now Moses has passed. And so you're getting this promise coming through that God is going to continue to have these prophets, these people that are going to speak on his behalf, even though Moses is gone. And so he's going to rise up another one among his own people who is going to be held accountable to his name that he's going to speak all this truth. And it ends on a really weird line here. If they don't, they'll die. So this interesting point here, especially with me preaching and talking to you guys in this way with preaching the gospel and talking about it in a way, being a prophet in certain parts and different spheres, I guess, that we are supposed to talk about this, but we're also then, when we're speaking that way, that we have to be working with God. Because otherwise, if we're becoming a false prophet, that doesn't work well with God. Again, it gets back into like what we've talked about with the commandments. He's this envious guy who really wants to love us and have us being his first priority for us and for him. And that being that then we have to have that solid relationship that we're able to talk to him and say what he has to say to the people who need to hear it. We saw that last week with Jonah. The psalm this week is Psalm 111. And this is a really nice little psalm, kind of going through a lot of what the psalms are talking about, just praising God for who God is, giving thanks for the ability to lift us up, all the things that he does to provide for us, to causes us not to fear, and the power and the majesty and everything that he's created, and just this understanding of how powerful God is, and recognizing that power and understanding that the wisdom and such that we get is really from him. It's the spirit of God within us that is helping us to have this wisdom. So it's just a great psalm. Spend some time and look over it. And it's real short. It's only 10 verses this week. The second reading this week is from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. Whew. On the surface, this is a doozy. It's talking about food offering to idols. And you feel like this is something that we don't deal with. And it's talking about the people of Corinth at this time. You have people and discussions going on. If we're following Christ and we don't have, you know, we're not following idols, we're following God. If we're invited into someone's house who is serving meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, is this, should we be doing this? And it's the debate back and forth. And Paul brings it around, I think, in a really nice way this week of talking about it. It needs to be in a love statement, this love idea, this 
concept of at times that we give up some of our freedoms to better love our neighbor. And I don't do this often, but I highly, highly, highly recommend checking out Working Preacher's commentary on this from Melanie A. Howard, specifically the last two paragraphs. Because what she does beautifully here is takes this debate that was going on with the people and brings it into what we are currently going through with the COVID-19 pandemic and brings it even into a church perspective, especially like when we first started this. One of the questions that she brings up is, is it safe to meet? Should we wear masks, be required when we're meeting in person? These ideas and things that were debated, especially, and talked about early on in this pandemic. And I think it's one of these ideas that how she is discussing it and talking about it and trying to be in a loving manner and trying to get us to be thinking about it in a loving manner. And how are we going to then react in a loving manner like we are called to and putting it into a modern context that we can understand. It's really, really beautiful. And especially even in the second paragraph, she goes into a little bit further where we kind of do this type of stuff all the time with being followers of Christ, as she quotes here, the disagreements that we have on consuming alcohol or using profanity or a style of clothing or other personal choices. It's the same idea and same concept. And I think it's just beautifully put to bring into a modern perspective and especially how often we don't do that. And so I'd highly recommend spending some time a little bit with that commentary. But again, it's the idea of what are we doing? We're supposed to be loving. We're supposed to be showing compassion. And sometimes then we have to put our side some of our freedoms that we are given to be able to show the love of Christ to other people. And then we get to the gospel reading this week, which is out of Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. So we've had the baptism. And right after the baptism, Jesus goes and gets tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And then this is the first act of Jesus in his ministry, according to Mark, and it's an exorcism. Very interesting that Mark immediately goes there, and especially how the way that Mark writes just so straight and to the point. But I think there are a few details here that we need to pull out. First, it's the Sabbath, and he enters the synagogue. So he's going to the holy place and is listening to these teachings, and he then confronts somebody who has an unclean spirit, as the text says. And he then rebukes the spirit and casts it out of the man. And what is really interesting, especially for us 21st century listeners that we might quickly overlook here, is verse 27. They were amazed and they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits to obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. But specifically, that's 27 and 28, but specifically verse 27. The reason that is so significant is at that time when there were questions and comments going back and forth between the rabbis. It's, well, rabbi this, who listened to, and rabbi this, and rabbi this, and rabbi this, and rabbi this, said this. But contrary, this rabbi, this rabbi, this rabbi, this rabbi, this rabbi said this. And so you're giving who the authority is. There isn't this direct authority. It's 
this person said this, this person said this, which in a lot of ways, especially to our ears now, which would sound very indecisive. Here we have Jesus immediately going in, commanding that spirit out, which would have been very, very weird to them. And thus, they get the reaction of, oh my goodness, what is going on here? This is so different. This is different. And that that's why the fame is being spread. Now, before we jump into how faith and science comes together, even though I rambled on a little bit longer than usual, we have to do our shameless plug full. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. I've already recommended it in this podcast. Between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis. The Sermon Brainwaves podcast is a great resource, but they also have commentaries on all these readings, along with additional resources just talking about faith and life. And if you haven't checked out Working Preacher... I'd highly recommend it. They're a major way that I end up bringing you this week after week. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. Authority. The thing that I find interesting in Mark's text is that Mark doesn't go into talking directly about what the rabbis and how the rabbis were reacting to this, outside of that they're in amazement, they're in befuddlement. But what's it like like a day or two later? What do you think of this Jesus guy? What do you think of what we saw the other day? On the Sabbath, no other. I mean, this, that was nuts. And to speak so directly right to this unclean spirit of a person in the synagogue on the Sabbath? Who is this guy? Did I really see what I saw? I could see these conversations easily happening. And, you know... It's stuff we wrestle with still now today. I found this interesting article, not from an amazing source, but kind of combining a couple things from lifehack.org, six world-changing ideas that were originally rejected. Because if you think about it, Jesus, what he's doing here could easily have been looked at by the Pharisees and rabbis and Who is this guy? Like, this isn't the way that this is done. You give credit to people. You don't speak directly like this. What what is going on? You know, and especially when we look at our like our Old Testament reading here, that God tried talking directly to the people, and no, I gotta have a liaison. That's what they want. They want this liaison in between us, even though that might get difficult. You know, the difficulty, the the human things that we wrestle with, like we see in Paul in 1 Corinthians talking about, should we eat this meat? When we look at kind of what we've gone through as a church, as a Christian community, these debates over what we, I think most of us would say in a lot of ways is small, but also important issues at the same time. Science has gone through the same type of stuff. Let's take a look at a few. Let's talk about a few. The earth being round. Remember how often we heard about like Christopher Columbus sailing the ocean blue and that he's going to drop off the edge and that it was, you know, the beginning of not only that, but also my second point here that the earth revolves around the sun, that through those two, we were starting to figure out that we were a spear through telescopes and different things like that and flat earthers 
a term that we can still occasionally hear now, people who don't believe that the earth is round, that it's still flat. There's still people who doubt that, even though the science community has now kind of come to accept that. But this was an idea that it took almost 1,500 years plus for us to understand and get our heads around. And we've talked about the earth revolving around the sun multiple times and how we have Galileo and Johannes Kepler and Copernicus kind of being the big ones to move this forward and how even the church had a rough time adjusting to this change and it took till the 18 late 1840s early 1850s for the Catholic Church to accept this and Luther and Melanchthon both even rejected these theories. And we've talked about this type of stuff before. One that we still are wrestling with as the science is slowly seeming to grasp it more and more. Darwin's theory of natural selection, Darwin's theory of evolution, especially within faith communities. And how do we deal with this? And we've kind of talked some on this. And I think at some point it probably deserves its own episode really to dive into this a little bit further. But the idea that, you know, before Darwin, we had, you know, a lot of different ideas of potentially how this all came to be, but then being able to go through fossil records and different things like that between Darwin and Watson being able to bring these ideas together to talk about, no, we can see in the fossil record that there are things that are slowly evolving, slowly changing. And how does that then fix within our worldview and being able to transform how we understand just how things change over time? But two, I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into is pasteurization which is the beginning of germ theory. And so this is kind of all happens around the 1850s, maybe a little bit before. So first you have John Snow, and he's kind of had some ideas of potential early germ theory. And in Soho, London, in August of 1854, there was a major chloridia breakout and he had theory that it was coming from the specific well in the Soho district after getting the death records and realizing that probably the majority of the people who were dying were picking it up from the certain well. And goes through and kind of convinces a committee in London to shut down that well temporarily. And suddenly the deaths were stopped. There was question on whether the community was kind of already getting through it at that point. And so that was kind of the beginning of what we would see as germ theory today. And this is later confirmed in the early 1860s by Robert Koch, who was able to isolate and begin to show that there were bacteria that you could figure out where, yes, this is a germ and that there's these things going on that way. But the other process that was kind of also happening at the same time in France is with Louis Pasteur, who had done some studies on making alcohol, wine, and understanding the yeast process and that there had to be these single-cell organisms to make that work. And in that process, this chemist ended up making the beginnings of microbiology doing this by boiled some broth in a swan neck flask 
And with how a swan neck flask is designed, it allows air in, but there's a natural filtration system. And so when he had the broth just sitting there and letting the swan neck flask do its natural filtration system, it didn't allow any microbes or anything to grow, thus it was still sterile. And as he then progressed, after multiple weeks of nothing happening, he changes it so that the filtration system would no longer work, and boom, within days, suddenly this flask that hadn't been growing anything suddenly is growing things because the filtration system was gone, showing that there were microbes in the air at all times, thus debunking the theory or beginning to debunk the theory of spontaneous generation, which had been this idea that had been on and on for an extended period of time because we weren't understanding that life can't come out of nowhere, that life has to come from life. So this beginning process and pasteurization is something that we use still to this day for milks and cheeses and all these different things to pasteurize it to help make it more sterile for us to be able to eat or drink or consume. But one of the other ones that I found really, really interesting is bacteria causing stomach ulcers. And this comes from Barry J. Marshall and J. Robin Warren in the late 70s, in 1979, Stomach ulcers, we weren't really sure how to deal with them. And they started to notice this NH pylori microbe around people who were having gastritis. And so they were starting to wonder, is this really what was going on? And the people at that time had the idea that the stomach is so acidic, there's no way that bacteria would be able to survive in that environment. There's no way. And so with that being the case, it was just, this is hogwash. There's no way. Barry J. Marshall ended up actually running some tests on himself, realizing because some people naturally have this bacteria as part of their culture, realized that he didn't and did a very risky experiment that he then took some of this H. pylori from a client, put it into a broth and consumed it, and within a few days was suddenly sick and was showing early signs of gastritis, which leads into ulcers. And so it was the beginning of the process of realizing that this is what is causing stomach ulcers. And over 20 years later, in 2005, both of them were awarded the Nobel Prize for this discovery. This the thing that had been completely just looked at as hogwash that now is getting the Nobel Prize because of how amazing it was and it led to beginnings of even reducing different types of stomach cancers from this. So why do I all bring this up? Jesus in this going into the temple. And it's amazing that here it is, the first act of Jesus really out in public is this. And it's Jesus showing that I am different, that I am been called to do something different. And even if people question me, that God has called me into something different. Even if people deny me, I still trust what my father has sent me to do. Brothers and sisters, I think this is something that we really need to consider. God works differently. 
And just like in science, when sometimes we discover something and we're really excited about it, there is a level of having skepticism. And we've talked about that, to be able to repeat a result. But when you're having something that's a, a major shift in how you're understanding things, like the beginning of germ theory, and when you listen, and I'm not even going to get into what the science of the day was, essentially clouds of just bad air causing people to get sick compared to germ theory, or stomach ulcers that were going to require surgery, and that, well, the idea that their stomach acid is so acidic, there's no way bacteria could survive. These were huge shifts in their fields. Jesus, when he walks into that temple on the Sabbath, and does this is a huge shift. The rabbis were probably in shock that, one, that he was able to do this. Two, it's probably considered a holy man because it's the Sabbath. So that's the whole idea that just because you're living a, a holy life doesn't mean that there isn't still things that can come in. And there's even discussions that I was picking up from working preachers that here is the spirit of God being able to cast out an evil spirit to enter in the spirit of God is another idea and way to take this, but we'll leave that there. But this idea that this changes everything, this is a whole new type of how God is working in the world. This is a huge shift. And we have to be able to recognize that within our own lives, that there are going to be times when God does these huge shifts in our life, getting back to like what we talked about last week, but also realizing that with our faith, the Holy Spirit that we have been welcomed into is a huge shift. It changes us. We have to understand the responsibility like we talk about in the first reading that comes with that, that being a prophet being one who speaks the word of God that is in us and using that voice as God is calling us and not using it for the damages and going against God's word, recognizing in that the power of who God is and what God has all done and that he wants to have this relationship with us is crazy. And that if we are going to live that out, that we have to be able to love above everything else. Even if it means putting aside some of our own personal freedoms, our, some of our own personal things that we'd be more comfortable with to let God work. When we look at the story of stomach ulcers, we have a man put his life at risk because that's not recommended. Because that's some pretty dangerous bacteria there. That he believed what he had and done enough research that like this should be the thing that's causing this. And the only way that people are going to believe me to some extent is if I do this test and does it. And the thing is, is it still took over 20 years to fully recognize the magnitude of what he had done. The breakthrough that those two were able to discover. We are now just, I feel just still skimming the surface of what us understanding what God did for us in Jesus. It's no different. These breakthroughs in science, these breakthroughs in our lives, it's amazing how it shakes everything up. It changes things. The understanding of germ theory, can you imagine going through what we have the last year without understanding germ theory? How hard it would be to contain and try to corral this virus that we're dealing with? 
And the thing to me that's amazing about this, and I've discussed this before, is how many things are we going to learn about viruses going forward because of this? Even though that this is painful now, when you're already looking at the different types of vaccines that are coming out, the talking about using mRNA vaccines as this is rolling out and this is new, but this could totally change how we do vaccines going forward because of what we're going through right now. It's a total shift, but we're still in the process of figuring it all out right now. Faith and life is about these times when we're going one direction. And just like Moses died, there had to be a change. Moses wasn't going to live forever, no matter how much the people of Israel wanted that. But suddenly God reassuring them, I'm still with you. I'm still going to raise up a prophet to speak that I'm going to speak to and that you can then still listen to. In our own lives, we have to be okay with these changes no matter how hard they are. When we look at the last year, it's been hard. There has been a lot of change, but that's part of life. That's part of faith. And when I look at what's going on being in the church, I will say it's been extremely hard. But at the same moment, I am so optimistic about where we're going. Because of the change that this is going to lead, it's going to make for a more relatable church. It's going to force us to be able to change things and look at things in new ways. Yes, it means at times that we might have to leave some things behind, no matter how hard that is, or put them to the side and not pick them up as often. But it also can breathe new life in, and we're able to hear God more clearly. As we are suddenly making things that it's hopefully more understandable for people and being able to grow in our own faith lives, to have those types of connections like what God is striving for, for us to be able to recognize like what Psalm 111 is discussing. The Twitter question I have for you this week is when you reflect on the last year, whether the good, the bad, the ugly, where are the changes that you're seeing that provide hope? Because in all of this, when we watch this, remember still in all the craziness with what the rabbis see that day, they're amazed because they're seeing their world shaken to the core and something is changing. And in their statements on how Mark records it, there is hope. There is hope for this man that he casts out the evil spirit. There is hope that maybe, if you want to interpret that way, the spirit of God is entering into this person. There is hope that suddenly there's a new authority that they can speak with and that the texts are coming alive in a new way. Brothers and sisters, when I look at this past year, when I look at these crazy scientific discoveries, they were hope. They were a change. It was moving forward in a new way. How is this any different than the wise men following a star that they had noticed and finding a young child with Mary and Joseph? We are in that season of following that star, to follow that hope. And for me, when I look at the world in which we're in, there's so much hope. It's just we have to latch onto it and remember it because that's part of what we need as human beings, hope. And God provides the love so that we can hope. And God continues to talk to us so we understand what to hope about. And God continues to steer our dreams so we know where he is trying to steer us, even if it's a quick change. Brothers and sisters, this is a text of hope. And I pray and I hope right now that you are in that season of hope. 
just as I hope that there continues to be evolution and changes in science that push us forward, I hope that in the same way that no matter how difficult the last year has been, that we continue to see the hope that continues to drive our faith to grow. So, wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.